We begin tonight's study of the seventh day of creation. And the uh, seventh day of creation, of course, we just got through finishing days one through six. And we are going to begin in chapter two now. So we have finished chapter one of Genesis. And it took us, I think, seven weeks <laughs> to get through one chapter. And there's 50, I think, chapters. So let's see. That's a... That's going to be quite a long time, maybe a multi-year uh, study here. Uh, but, but we did put a special emphasis on each day, and that explains it. We'll pick up the pace as we cover the book of Genesis from this point on. Uh, it is a foundational book. Uh, Genesis is a book of origins, of the beginnings. But it, it's, it's very important because God inspired this book, just like he inspired all the books. And despite everything, God has a plan that he was able to put together using over 40 different authors, stretched out over over 1,500 years or more, and yet there's one story, one story about it. So we begin with the creation, we end with the new creation in the end. And you'll find that in the book of Genesis Especially now we're in chapter 2, we learn the story of the seventh day. So that's where we start, Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. So may the Lord bless his word as we have it read into our hearts today. Well, we learned a lot of facts uh, about the, the, the creation. We tried to look at science, because science doesn't really tell us everything. We, we learned that science doesn't understand all these things, but we also learned that despite what we've been told in our schools for about 100 years or more, the truth is science tends to more agree with what the Bible says than it does disagree. And also the fact that science, the more they, that, that we discover, the more gaps occur in our knowledge, the more we realize that everything that we have in the world is dependent upon God holding everything together. We also learned in studying these days is that God would say, and the evening and the morning were the such and such day. We, we learned that while the Jews today start their days at the night and look at the days as being finished the next day, uh, we, we don't know if that's what God's original meaning was for evening and morning. And it tends to be a situation where it seems that those words, when they were originally used, had to do with God took something that did not have order, like it's a raw material, something that was without an organization, and he moves from disorganization to organization. That's what he does each of these days. He has that same pattern. But it's very interesting, isn't it, that on the seventh day, What's missing? You don't have an evening. You don't have the morning. 
which is another reason why I don't think that the original meaning of the evening and the morning was literally evening and morning. I think it was God explaining that in those days, he started out with something that was without form and he moves it to something that has form and organization. And he says, it is good. And that's why he does what he does. Now, the seventh day, of course, creates a very important pattern for us because the number seven will be a number of completion. It will be a number that throughout the Bible is repeated in either it or multiples of seven are repeated many, many times. And if you think about it, when Jesus rose from the dead, he made many appearances on Sunday, which is the first day of the week. Okay, he made several appearances. I think at least four appearances on Sundays, uh, the, the first Sunday and then three subsequent Sundays. But on the 40th day or so, he went up to heaven and ascended, which is not on a Sunday. Uh, but he also, on the day of Pentecost, remember the day of Pentecost was a, was 50 days after, I think, the... Uh, the Passover. So if you think about what that means, you have seven weeks of sevens, seven times seven is 49, and then it's the day after is a jubilee day, just like they had jubilee years, and that, that was a time of rest. So after seven complete weeks of years, they would have what's called a jubilee. Well, the days of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost was 50 days after the uh, Passover, and so that's seven times seven plus one. Why does God have, when he writes letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, there's seven churches, and that's not by accident. This is deliberately God picking seven churches to talk to in the first couple, three chapters of, uh, of Revelation. Now, those churches were not the most famous churches. They were not necessarily the ones that were spoken of much in the Bible. And yet God chose seven churches within a 50-mile radius in what today is Western Turkey. And he wrote to them in a particular order and gave them a certain message that had a pattern in it. And you'll find that he also said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He says it seven times, but he says it seven times in, elsewhere in the Bible too. So you can see this pattern of sevens is, is something God has put in as his little watermark on the world. His little stamp that says, by the way, I am the author of all these things. I'm the one who has a plan for these things. And, and this, this number means something to him. Uh, notice that also we have here in uh, this uh, seventh day that the work was finished. So he, he's, he didn't, after that, create any new energy or any new matter. Now, that doesn't mean that people in the womb are not formed by the Lord. God really does make us in the womb by shaping us. But the shaping of us in the womb is a little bit different than the way he shaped the world early on. 
because in early on, he injected new things into creation and made the world as he, as he made it. But now he is taking existing things and shaping us through uh, existing things. If a mother has a baby and uh, doesn't eat anything and starves herself, that baby is not going to be formed. That baby is going to die uh, because you have to have material that God has to put together, and he does. He, he puts us together using the material that the mother consumes and is providing for the baby. And also, uh, it's sad to say, but some people years ago, and even to this day, they want to say that that baby in the womb is somehow, uh, that's their body. They can do what they want to with. It's not. The, the body, a mother's body treats that baby like a foreign thing, okay? It's not her body. It's got different DNA. And once the heart starts beating, it's got different blood flowing through it. So it's it actually, if it wasn't for the placenta and the umbilical cord uh, independently feeding that baby, independently bypassing the mother's chemistry, that baby would die because the body would reject it as a foreign object. But, uh, so there's no way that that's part of the woman's body. It's, it's a separate entity. And it's, it's, that child is being formed, shaped, based upon whatever's being input, whatever that mother's eating, and whatever, however that mother's living, the environment, all those things, it's genetics too, because guess what? Were, were every one of us, did we inherit perfect genes? <laughs> when, is our DNA perfect from our parents? How many of us have said, oh, I got that from my mom or I got that from my dad's side of the family? You know, I got this weakness here, I got that weakness. We still have those natural weaknesses that can be passed on from generation to generation. So our creation is a little different than the creation of Adam, for sure, and Eve. Now, uh, but the fact that it says that the work was finished, it's like God said, now that I've done this, we're not going to have any new energy. You can't create new energy. You can't destroy energy. You can't create new matter. You can't destroy it. So even if you set off a chain reaction and have a nuclear explosion, you still got the same amount of energy in the world. It just changes how it is operating. Uh, and it's, it's also, we, we will see the laws of, of entropy. Now, what those laws are is that things left alone will slow down and tend to move from order to disorder, quite the opposite of what the original creation was. He says he went from the evening to the morning, so it went from darkness to light, but in creation, now things move the opposite direction. Things left alone deteriorate, rust. They naturally age, wear out like a garment. I believe that the reason why today things are that way is due to the fact of sin, and we'll learn about that here in chapter 3 when we get to it. I think that uh, we don't know how good Adam and Eve really had it. They might have had it to where they never got tired or they never got, you know, never had to deal with a thorn or, or worry about injury or worry about stress. But work was a pleasure and an enjoying, enjoyable thing. 
Uh, I don't know. If you look at children, for instance, you, you take them on a field trip to some special place. They, they'll have lots of energy. They're not going to complain, I don't want to get on that bus. I don't, I don't want to go to school today. But they have the field trip to see the zoo. And, and, and most every child wants to do that because it's a pleasurable experience for them to get up and they actually work more enthusiastically than they would if it was just a normal day. And I think that that, that brief uh, moment when you can experience that, anytime you can experience that in life is a great moment, but I think that that was the, the normal <laughs> for Adam and Eve. I think it was just normal for them. Uh, so now things are not that way. Now things, you have to really work <laughs> to stay even and you never get ahead. <laughs> you don't get ahead. The system is a system that no matter how you invent a machine, you always have a, a loss of efficiency somewhere. There's friction. There's something that, you know, you can, there's no perfect machine. It will wear out. It, you have to pay a price to get it to work and do what you want. Um, and it's just true of our lives, too. It's kind of true of our paychecks, you know. Ah, <laughs> oh, I've got this. And then you start saying, but i got to pay for this and this and this and this. And it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And you get under... Uh, it doesn't work the way you think it will. So there's oftentimes too much month at the end of the money. So the principle uh, that everything was finished, God set it in motion, and it was working fine. It was working perfectly. But that will change with the introduction of sin in the world. And the creation has suffered because of the introduction of sin. If we turn to Romans chapter 8, uh, briefly look at Romans chapter 8, because in that chapter, we learn about the creation and its uh, uh, tendency to bondage to decay. Uh, and there's a great several, several verses dealing with creation and dealing with these same principles. So Romans chapter 8, Okay, I'll pick it up here in verse number 18 of Romans chapter 8. Uh, speaking about the nature of the world today and the fact that it isn't perfect. It's not a perfect world. It has shades of God's perfection, but it is not perfect. So in Romans 8, 18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Well, obviously, as Christians, and as Paul was ministering, he was going through a hard time. But he said, whatever I'm going through now is not worth to even comparing what I'm going to get in the positive in the future. Notice that that's going to be at a future time when everything gets changed. There will be a time when things change. The current system that's broken will no longer be broken. And that's the key. Notice how he says in verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. So creation itself is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Well, we are the sons of God if we are born again. But we have only received 
a partial deposit of what we will be. Because when we're raised from the dead or, or when the Lord comes back and changes us, we will have the same type of body as Jesus. Can you imagine what millions and millions of people like Jesus could do? Can you imagine how much Jesus did in his life, what millions of us could do? Isn't that amazing? He had power over nature. He literally had total power wherever he went. He only allowed himself to die. He did it because he had a purpose for it. Not because he wanted to do it, but because he loved us. So that is why the creation itself is waiting for us to be revealed the way we will be revealed. Notice it says in verse number 20 of Romans 8, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So it wasn't the, the tree's fault that Adam and Eve sinned and they ate from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it wasn't the animal's fault that the world was, was fallen into a place where everything gets decayed and dies and, 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 cre and, and all that is wrong with the world happened. But God allowed it to happen. He allowed it to happen because he had a hope that someday that same creation would be changed and rescued by us in the future when we are changed to be like Jesus. Uh, verse 21, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So the very creation of the world will be liberated from its current tendency to have diseases, disasters, pestilence, uh, wars, famines. All these things will be corrected when we are revealed as we will be. That's good news. And, 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 it's, a, and it's more than any of these climate uh, people talk about today. We will actually have a a situation where the world gets fixed. It gets fixed, and it's going to get fixed by us. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So we know that even now there's a lot of misery in the created order. We cannot help but notice that uh, every time you drive down the road, you got a lot of roadkill, or you got animals killing animals, you've got death, you've got people that are suffering, things that are suffering, fields that are suffering, plants that are suffering. So these are part of the birth pangs of just the world itself. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the, the adoption, the redemption of our body. So you think about that for a moment. We are all wanting to be different than what we are now, don't we? We, we, we want to have a world where it's easy to follow God, don't you? Uh, it'd be much easier if you were never tempted to do wrong, guess what you would never do? You'd never do wrong. <laughs> if you were never tempted, you would never have a desire to do something wrong. Our problem is, is that we're too easily tempted and led away to do wrong, isn't it? 
We're too, too eager to listen to that, 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 that gossip or we're too eager to turn our eye to that which we shouldn't see or we're too eager to uh, go where we should not go or take that which we shouldn't take. You know, that's our, our normal problem. But God has given us hope and that's the great news. So God finished his work. It was perfect. But then when we study about the fall, which is the next part of the story, we're going to learn that it gets broken and everything does get broken. And that brokenness is something that God has a plan for. But guess what? He's chosen us and all who believe to be part of the solution in the future. So we now talk about the Sabbath as a day of rest. But notice that it also says here, and going back to Genesis chapter 2, that he rested. And then in verse 3, God blessed the seventh day, and sanctified it. Now, this is important because he blesses the Sabbath day prior to the law being written, okay? There's no law. There's no law. There's no law of Moses, no Ten Commandments. None of those things exist. When Adam and Eve are created, their rules positively were to be fruitful, multiply, and take dominion over the earth and spread out. And that was about it. There wasn't a whole lot. They had management. They have complete discretion on how they ran things. So truly, Adam and Eve had a blank slate of opportunities given to them. I mean, think about that. Not only were they in charge of all the created things, but they that meant that the devil, who was kicked back to earth, by the way, would have been under them. They didn't know this. We're going to learn about that. But think about the power they had they didn't know they had. Uh, I've always wondered about that when they, when they got kicked out of the garden, if they just said, look what we had, look what we had. You know, somebody has said, you, you don't appreciate what you have till you, till you lose it. <laughs> and uh, think about that for a moment. You don't appreciate what you have till you lose it. Uh, so they really had great power. So the Sabbath day was instituted as a holy day prior to the flood, prior to the fall, prior to, to Noah. And it, it, it had to be something that, had, that was communicated to Adam and Eve. They had to have some knowledge of this. Uh, sometimes when we think about the New Testament, we know that Jesus got in trouble for healing on the Sabbath day. Remember, he got in trouble for that. And the Jews had created all kinds of rules to protect the Sabbath day. And yet, Jesus tells us in the New Testament that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's important because that takes us back prior to the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments clearly says in the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So that's what he says in Exodus. Remember the Sabbath day. It's the fourth commandment. And uh, if you work, work six days, that's part of that commandment, by the way, work six days, rest one day. So that principle there is it only works for your resting if you're working. <laughs> if, you're, if, you're not, if you're lazy, not doing anything on those other six days, then your rest day is not going to give you the benefit. So you have to combine hard, decent work with 
rest. So work hard, rest well is a good way to look at it. But the fact is that Jesus, he basically said that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So it was God's intention originally to give men and give all people, really, just give us a day where we reflect on him, honor him. Now, in the ancient world, and to this day, technically, the Sabbath was a day called the Saturday. I mean, Saturday is basically the Sabbath day. It's the seventh day. Uh, Sunday is the first day of the week. If you have a calendar that has Sunday at the end, that's obviously one of these modern calendars that does not follow the real deal. The real Sabbath day was on a Saturday. And so Jesus was raised on the first day of the week. And you could say that's the first day of the week is like the eighth day from the previous week. And so eight, eight is the sign of new beginnings. So it's not by accident that Jesus was, was raised from the dead on the eighth day, so to speak, because it was a new beginning. But Jesus said something else about the Sabbath. He said whenever his disciples were eating uh, grain in the fields and picking it as they were walking on a Sabbath day, the disciple, uh, the, the Jewish leadership gave Jesus a hard time, says your disciples are breaking the law. They're picking grain. They're working on the Sabbath day. Jesus used an example of David, who when he went to uh, a, a uh, priest, I think it was Ahimelech or Abimelech, I get them confused, probably Ahimelech, but regardless, he went to a priest and, uh, at, at, and because his men were starving, he went and got the, the priest bread to save the lives of his men. It wasn't legal for David to take this bread, but he did it because they had a life and death situation. So David made a priority of understanding that when it comes to rules, you sometimes get contradictions, don't you? You get something where you have to say, okay, the rule says this, and yet you, you got human life. So which is more important? And Jesus used the example of uh, the animal that falls into the ditch. Would you not get it out of the ditch if it was to fall into the ditch on the Sabbath day? And remember that even in the ancient temple worship, during the uh, Sabbath day, the priests were working hard. <laughs> the priests were doing their part. They, I guarantee you they were working and making sure all the vessels were where they needed to be and they were serving the way they needed to serve. So the point of the matter is, Jesus said, the Son of Man, though, and here's the thing that totally blew them away, is Lord even of the Sabbath day. <laughs> so remember who it was who created this thing to begin with. It is the Lord. He is not the slave to his own system, okay? He can do whatever he wants. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He can, he can work if he wants to. He is God Almighty. He's, by the way, he, he works all the time almost, but he did rest this moment. He rested on this day to look at everything and to establish that principle of rest. So the question is, is what should our attitude be to the Sabbath today? There are in church tradition, after Jesus rose from the dead, it became a tradition to meet on the first day of the week. That's a Sunday. And there's nothing wrong with that because if you meet on the first day of the week to honor the Lord, 
I think that shows that your priority is your first day of the week, you're going to dedicate to the Lord, to, to meet and honor him and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with churches choosing and Christians choosing to honor the Lord on the first day of the week. But I do think it would be wrong for us to make it a law of burden on people that would create this legalism because legalism is what I think Jesus wanted people to get away from. The reason why the Jews, for instance, they had a lot of laws about the Sabbath day. And then later they added a tradition about extra rules in addition to what the Bible says about the Sabbath. And it was this extra tradition that was nonsense and causing problems for Jesus that Jesus ignored because he was, as I said, the Lord of the Sabbath. He, he, he would confront people and say, well, whenever they would say, it's not right for you to do this on the Sabbath, he says, well, is it legal to do better to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? <laughs> you know, which is better? And so they didn't answer him, so he healed on the Sabbath day to prove that there's nothing wrong with helping human life. And, and, and I think there's only seven cases of Jesus healing on the Sabbath. This has led several, because they're recorded, people think, oh, Jesus only healed on the Sabbath day. He did not. He healed thousands and thousands and thousands of people on every day. So the Sabbath day, the reason why those are recorded is those were rare because a lot of people didn't go to him on the Sabbath day. But, but if he saw a need, he would heal even on the Sabbath day. He was a man who on the Sabbath day worshiped the Lord. He would, it was his habit to attend the Jewish version of church, which was a synagogue where they would sing songs, read the Bible, and talk about the Lord. Not We really get a lot of our worship experience from the Jewish synagogue. And the synagogue was just a meeting place where they would meet, read the Bible, preach the Bible, teach the Bible, sing and honor the Lord. And basically, it's just something that Jesus endorsed. So he endorsed that with his lifestyle. It was his custom to do this. So it wasn't like Jesus was just ignoring the Sabbath day at all. He, he understood its meaning and its purpose. So I think that today, the Christian attitude to the Sabbath should be to understand that even though the Sabbath, we're not under a law as Christians, we should respect the original intention of the Sabbath day. That, that, that working six days and resting one and honoring the Lord on that day that you choose to rest, I think is very important. Uh, and I think we lose when we don't do it. And it's a shame that our culture has blurred all of our rest days into trying to exploit that, quote, free time to gain more money by having a lot of shiny objects for us to look at when we should be looking at the Lord. <laughs> and we're, boy, we're, we're so obsessed with, oh, I, I can't wait to see this game or I can't wait to go and do this activity. But how many of us have that kind of excitement to say, I want to honor God? on my day off. I want to honor the Lord and thank him for the, the benefits he's given to me. I, I just think that we and the Lord would gain from it. We would gain because our spirits would be in a right frame of mind. 
we wouldn't feel so overwhelmed, I think, by all the outside influences. I think our health would be better. I think we would just be naturally less stressed. But I also think that the Lord would be pleased with us making such a priority. And I tend to, I follow, I got people who are acquaintances that are Jews. They take off on Friday night at six o'clock. You don't hear from them until six o'clock the next night. That's their observation of the Sabbath. Now, whether or not they're really honoring the Lord is up to them and the Lord, but, uh, but they do, a lot of them tend to make a priority of it. But uh, the Seventh-day Adventists, by the way, are Christians who take what I've said tonight and they kind of take it a little further than I would go. They tend to be more legalistic. And you don't want to get to that point where you start saying, okay, we also need to avoid certain foods and we need to uh, make sure we don't eat pork and all that. I don't think that's where the Lord wanted us to go. And if you read the book of Romans, Paul says that whatever meat you eat, if you give thanks for it, then it's sanctified because you gave thanks. So we have freedom. And, and also Paul emphasized in Galatians that we're not under the law. We're free from the law. We're free from all of those regulations, which there were a lot of them, <laughs> about diet and about Sabbath and about a lot of things. Those things are not what's going to matter. But getting back to the original creation, I do believe that the Lord blessed that seventh day. He sanctified it. He, he set it apart. He created a pattern called the week. And that week is something that is universally understood. And we should remember the original creation because he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. And it's at that point we learned that the seventh day uh, is a day that we should enshrine and try to copy in some way as much as possible every week. So we can say, okay, I, I did these things, I did these things, I did these things, and the, did these things, and these things. And now whew, I'm going to get a well-deserved rest. I'm going to recharge my batteries, and I'm going to be what God wants me to be. And thus, uh, I think that the, I like what the book of Hebrews says about the, the rest uh, of the ultimate Sabbath. He says, the rest, the Sabbath, the rest still remains for the people of God. There is the spiritual understanding of it that it's more than just a day of the week. It's also a future place in which we will rest and be free of all of our labors. And we're striving for that ultimate rest, which is truly something that I think we will enjoy. Because I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised by how little we miss this earth. <laughs> but how, how often have we dreaded dying, <laughs> feared dying, but then we'll say, why did I fear dying? You know, why did I do that? If you know Jesus, he, remember what he said, if you live and believe in him, you'll never die. That's fact. So that's the Lord. Any questions about the uh, Sabbath day and the seventh day, according to the Bible, that you might have.